Welcome to the Arena Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. You know, I, I've been so blessed to have incredible people around me, not just people who we, we sort of do stuff together, but friends as well. Kevin Hanna on the front row as well today, and Jared and, and other people around are, are, are just amazing followers of Jesus who give themselves, you know, with things like universe as well, there's a big cost to that as well. You know, that's a, a massive investment. And um, Jazz, I'm just believing that for your next season, mate, there's going to be even more to come from you. And uh, as you're a dad, I, I think you and Sam are going to be incredible parents as well. So um, as Andy mentioned, we're in this series called I Have Decided. And who caught Paul's message last week? Who was here last week? Yeah, it was a great Sunday, Remembrance Sunday. Please, if you missed that message, go back and take a listen because it was so important when, uh, with Paul talking about I have decided to give my life to serve others. And uh, please go back and listen to it if you missed it because I think for the life of our church and to live a life of the follower of Jesus service is so important. So please go back and get that. But let's have a look at Hebrews 12, verse 1 to 3. This is the key verse for our series. And it says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now we're going to come back to that in a second, but who loves here? Who likes to go out for food? Who likes to go out for a meal? Yeah, me and Helen like love to go out for a meal. We were recently away uh, on, on holiday in Orlando. And let me tell you, there was only two nights out of three that we did not eat out. Like, it, was, uh, it was like a meat feast every single night. It was uh, pretty amazing. But we love to go out. We love to go out with our kids and obviously sometimes with friends and family in bigger groups. But one of the biggest bugbears for me when I go out with people to eat is when people are not ready to order. Like when I, when I have to wait half an hour for someone to make their, their flipping order, I will say flipping because it, it annoys me that much, when it takes them that long to, to make the order, like it, it just riles me. You need to know I'm the guy when I walk into a restaurant, nine out of 10 times, I already know what I'm eating. Hello, everybody. Like when the waiter comes to the table to say hello, I'm like, yeah, we're, we're ready to order. That, that's me. I'm that guy. But you have these people, and I'm sure there's some in the room, so I'll be careful what I say. But you have these people who, they like to scan the menu. They like to look at it three times. They like to go through the thing. They like to check all the ingredients. They like, ask, bring the waiter over. What do you recommend? Like, what's for phallage? You know what I mean? Those people. They scan the menu. The waiter comes back and goes three times. And let me tell you, I'm losing the plot. Like... On the side, I just want to eat. I don't even want to talk before I've ordered my food. I just want to get down to business. Let's order the food. And then there, there they are, three minutes later, and they ordered the same meal that they were going to order at the start anyway. Crazy. They come to a point where they just can't make a decision. We call this analysis paralysis, where you've, you've analysed so much that you actually can't make a decision. See, I I use this low-level, insignificant illustration as an example. 
See, we all have decisions to make every day, don't we? Some of us make rash decisions. Some of us uh, undertake the, the necessary due diligence. Some of us go too far and overanalyze to a point where we can't make a decision at all. See, decisions are powerful. So the decisions that we, dic- uh, that we make dictate the course of our lives. This verse in Hebrews 12, it's about the power of decision. Let's have a quick look at it again. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. I'll just pause there. See, this is a decision that you have to make to, tr- to throw off the things that hold you back. That's your decision to stop doing those things. Like Andy said, not to run away from God, but to run to him. That is your decision. We pick it up again and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. See, again, this is a decision that we make, a decision to run, a decision to fix our eyes on Jesus. See, you could fix your eyes on a million different things. Your eyes might be fixed on Manchester United. Probably not the best place to fix them at the moment. I am a Man United fan. You might fix your eyes on Man United. You might fix your eyes on your business or on your money or on your bank account or on your car or whatever it may be. But where you fix your eyes is your decision. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. It's talking about Jesus scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. See, the writers told us here about the decisions we need to make and gives us an example of a decision that Jesus made to go to the cross. This morning, please understand this point. Jesus was not forced into the cross. He didn't get trapped, so therefore he had to go through with it. He wasn't in the wrong place at the wrong time. He made a decision. Jesus chose the cross so that you and I could be set free, so that sin and death could be defeated, so that we could have eternal life. Jesus made a decision. He made a decision. See, at the end of this, we see a line that's bizarre, it's outrageous, it seems crazy. It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That makes no sense. It's okay to say that. That, that, it, It makes no sense. And sat down at the right hand of God. For the joy set before him? Jesus was going to go through the most horrendous death, humiliation, pain. He was going to go through it all. Where's the joy in that? But you see, Jesus realized that momentary pain was necessary to see long-term gain. See, because of his decision, because Jesus chose the cross, we can be free. Because of his decision, he is sat at the right hand of God interceding for you and me. What does that word interceding mean? That means that God is, uh, Jesus is sat in the gap between me and God. And Jesus is going to God with all my issues, with all my hurt, with all my pain. Jesus is an intermediary between me and God. That's amazing. 
because of what he went through. See, this here, it shows us the power of decisions and what, what decisions are all about. See, Jesus had to go through the lowest of the low so he could sit in the place of highest honour. Decisions always a trade-off of short-term pleasure versus long-term gain. Can you say no in the moment to reap the reward in the long term? See, if you want to lose a few pounds... You, we all know, this one's for me, you have to say no to the kebab and chips on a Friday night. Honestly, Donna kebab as well. Not, not, not those chicken kebabs, way too clean. You have to do that. If you want to be mortgage free, you have to say no to that new car right now for the long-term gain of being financially free. If you want to grow as a person, you have to take the short-term pain of picking up a book and saying no to the short-term pleasure of completing Netflix. I think a lot of us probably struggle with that sort of idea. Decisions always a trade-off. See, the problem is we so often trade long-term gain for short-term pleasure and we miss our destiny because we can't deny ourselves for a moment to live the life we are called to for eternity. So the key to making great decisions is to get your eyes off of short-term pleasure and get your eyes onto long-term gain. So I think a lot of the things that we call decisions, to be honest, are not even decisions at all. A lot of people say things like, I'd love to lose weight, or I wish I could read my Bible, or I want to start a business. These aren't decisions. These are wishes and wants and desires. Very rarely you hear someone say, I have decided that I'm going to lose weight. Or I have decided that I'm going to start that business. Or I have decided to become financially free. See, there is firmness that comes with this statement. There's a finality. There's a singularity in this statement that makes you different. And this morning, we're going to look at the statement, I have decided to follow Jesus. See, now while a lot of us here in this atmosphere of faith this morning would say externally that, yeah, I I have decided to follow Jesus, I just wonder at times if our relationship with Jesus is more of a wish, if it's more of a want, if it's more of a desire than the firmness of the life-altering statement, I have decided to follow Jesus. The power of this statement The power when someone lives a life with this conviction at the centre of it. This is a foundation to build a life upon. See, this is a conviction that makes a difference because what you were saying is, I'm not going to follow my own whims and desires, God. I'm going to follow your plan, Jesus, over my life. God, it's not my desires anymore. God, it's not my way. God, it is your way. This statement makes a difference. It will change your life. Not because of the words, though, because of the attention of the words, Jesus. When your attention is on Jesus, everything changes. See, people at this point, they get all confused because they think turning their lives over to Jesus, living a life that says, I have decided to follow Jesus, they think that, oh, my life's going to go downhill. 
My life's going to be boring. I'm not going to be able to do the fun things anymore. I'm not going to be able to go on the holidays or do this or do that. We won't be able to enjoy life anymore. But let me tell you this morning, that is a lie from the devil. John 10.10 says this, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. God wants to give you a full life. God wants to give you a big life. Jesus came so that you could live your best life. That's why he came. I want to ask you a question this morning. Where has living on your plan got you? Living your way, fulfilling that short-term pleasure. Are you free or are you addicted? Has living on your plan led to fulfilling your dreams or are you just getting by? Are you making a difference in your world or have you settled for comfort? See, Jesus did not come to ruin your life, to stop you having fun, to make you less effective. He came to give you life and life to the full, a big life, an abundant life, a life to be endured, not endured, a life to be enjoyed, a life to be passionate about, a life that pursues more, a life that believes that God will break in, a life of impact. I want you to know this morning, you are called to more than what you are presently experiencing. This morning, God's saying to you, put your life in my hands. Let me lead you and I will take you to places that you have never even dreamed of. Is it going to be perfect? No. Is it always going to be comfortable? I'm sorry. No, it is not. But is it the best way that you can live? Yes. If you want to live a life of comfort, if you want to live a life without trouble, the best way I know how to do that is to lock that front door, batten down the hatches and never step outside. If you want to live a life of comfort, just literally stay at home and watch the TV. But let me tell you, that is no life at all. And trouble will still come. But if you want to live a life that's bigger than yourself, if you want to live a life that makes a difference, if you want to live a life that makes an impact, let me tell you, Jesus is the best place to be in control of your life. See, I'd rather put my life in the hands of a God who is all-knowing, who is all-powerful, is outside of time, rather than believing that I know best with the incredibly limited resources that I have. The reality is I'm probably not even the cleverest person in this room. Never mind Mansfield, never mind the United Kingdom, never mind the world. And guess what? I've seen that the most clever people in the world, the most talented, the most bright, have messed their lives up as well. What does that show me? That shows me the human race are not that well equipped to be in control of our own lives. See, it'd be a little bit like this. Richard Branson, who knows Richard Branson, the, the, the billionaire probably. Yeah, Virgin Media guy, that, that's the guy, Richard Branson. This would be a bit like Richard Branson coming to me and saying, Josh, there's a Formula One car over there and my friend Lewis Hamilton. Now, if you or Lewis complete a lap of this track in under two minutes, I will give you a million pounds. And it's kind of like me going to Richard Branson, don't worry, I've got this, I'll do this on my own. Lewis Hamilton, you sit on the sidelines, I've got this, I can do it. See, that would be ridiculous because I am completely unequipped to drive a Formula One car. 
I'd crash it on the first corner. Honestly, true to form, I would definitely crash that car. I promise you. It'd be ridiculous. It would be crazy. I'd miss the money and I'd probably hurt myself. But this is what we do with God. The God who made us. The God who knows how to please us. The God who knows how to lead us into freedom. The God who wants the best for us. We say, no God, I'm going to be in control of my life. This is crazy. See, making the decision to follow Jesus starts with the realisation that you are unequipped to lead your life and that the only one with the qualification and understanding to do so is God. See, this understanding is where following Jesus begins. Understanding that he is the one who is best placed to be in control. See, we then want to build upon this realisation by getting to know God. If we don't actively pursue God, if we don't devote ourselves to getting to know God, to know him personally, then our relationship with him will never develop. See, we're following him. He wants us to follow him actively. It's not something we once did. We said, I've decided to follow Jesus and that's it. It's something we do day in, day out, every day. He wants to be involved in your work. He wants to be involved in your family. He wants to be involved in our town. He wants to be involved in every single day. See, our relationship with Jesus, it starts with the revelation that he is best placed to be in control, but it develops from an active pursuit of God. You say this morning, okay, Josh, that's great, but how do I do it? Well, we actively pursue God through setting time aside to get to know him. Time for just you and God to get to know Jesus, to get to know the Holy Spirit who's within us. See, the primary ways in which we do that are reading the Bible and conversation with God or or prayer, you might call it. Psalm 119 verse 105 says this, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Matthew 4, 4, Jesus says, it's written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, the Bible is such an underutilized tool in the lives of many people. And often in the lives of Christians who maybe have been around church the longest time. And because Bibles remain on bookshelves gathering dust, so our relationship with God becomes dusty and stale because we're ignoring God's primary means of communication with you and me, his word. That is such a gift. The word of God is such a gift to you and me. See, if we believe in God, if we believe what Jesus did, then we have to take Psalm 119 seriously. When the psalmist writes, your word is a lamp to my feet and light to my path. Is there any wonder that so many people are lost and confused because they're missing the very tool by which God intended to guide us, his word. See, through the power of God's spirit speaking to us, the word of God becomes alive in our lives and helps us to navigate the mountains and the valleys of this world. Searching for God within the scriptures is key to our pursuit of God, is key to getting to know him. The 66 books of the Bible are written under the inspiration of God. It's God-breathed so that we can get to know him. 
They're not just to give you more knowledge. They're not just to give you a bit more wisdom. They are there so that you can communicate with the God of heaven and earth. God wants relationship with you, first and foremost. Have you ever considered why God gave his free will? Now, I can't pretend to know the answer this morning. But I just wonder if one reason is because the thing he desires above all else is authentic relationship with you and me. See, forced relationship is not love. Forced relationship is abuse. And God is a God of love. He's not abusive. And what he wants is he wants you to choose to get to know him. If I force my wife to love me, then that really would not be love at all. But because she chooses to love me, in spite of my weaknesses, despite all my failures and my hurts, because she chooses to love me, that's amazing. God wants you to choose to love him. See, God set, he loves nothing more than for you to set dedicated time aside each day to spend time together where he can have your full attention, where you can bring your all to him, your insufficiency, your doubt, your fear, your success, your pride, your love, your excitement. He wants it all. You need to know that nothing, God's not scared of anything in your life. He's seen it all. So we set a time aside to read his word and to speak to him and to listen. And you might say this morning, well, Josh, what does prayer look like? Well, there's no cookie cut answer to that. And you need to find your own rhythm. But I believe that our conversation with God should include these things. First of all, thanking him. Thanking God for what he's done in our lives. And you know what? Even if you're going through the worst time, you have reason to thank God because you are here on this earth to thank him. Uh, Paul, uh, the apostle Paul in the Bible amazes me because constantly, always, he's thanking God. Thanking God. Our time with God, our prayer should also include praising him. Giving him the honour, saying, God, you are so great. God, you are, your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. God, I love you. Our time with God should always involve praising him, putting him back in his rightful place. Because don't we know that the things of the world can, can sort of compete for God's attention in our lives. And when we praise God, it puts him again at the front of our lives. We should also bring our issues to him. He wants to know your issues. He wants to know your pain. He wants to know where you're at. He wants to know what you're working on. And also it should include saying sorry. Great time with God also involves asking the Holy Spirit to empower us asking him to work through us, asking him to help us to live the life that we're called to live. It also includes bringing to God the requests of others, praying for that friend, praying for that town, praying for the government. Who knows our government needs prayer? Praying for our leaders, praying for our police service, the NHS, praying for those people around us. And something I think we all need to do in our time with God, is to listen. See, this is not a one-way conversation. God wants to speak to you. The Bible describes it as the still, small voice. Just a voice inside of you. 
that rises up. And you know what? You know that can only be God. See, this builds relationship. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. Let's pick up our relationship with God again. If you have been a Christian a long time and maybe you've gone off the boil, don't forget your first love with him. Fall back in love with God. Don't become stale. He has not gone anywhere. He's standing right there where you left him saying, come and see me. I want to spend time with you. That's what God wants. See, so following Jesus, it starts with an understanding that he's best placed to be in control. We build upon that through actively pursuing him. And we work this out in our lives through doing what he says. In John 14, Jesus says this, If you love me, keep my commands. See, it's one thing to know how God's called us to live, but it's a completely different thing to live that way. I think if we acted towards our friends the way we act towards God at times, we probably wouldn't have that many friends. See, it's okay saying to my wife that I love her and that I'm devoted to her, that I'll always be there for her. But if my actions don't line up with my words, it's clear I do not mean them. See, if I'm not there when my wife needs me, if I'm pursuing other women, if I never spend time with her, our relationship would not last long. Because words are okay, but action is where words are proven. See, love's proved in words, not in words, but in action. And Jesus is outlining that here. He's saying to us, if you really want to follow me, do it by the way that you live. See, God's commands aren't to restrict us, they're to free us. It goes back to that thing of who knows best. He directs us in the way he does because he knows best. His direction is never to bring slavery. It's always to bring freedom. Like that amazing song we sang, who the sun sets free is free indeed. God doesn't want to bind you up. He wants to set you free. So the reason he directs us away from certain things is to stop you from stepping into slavery. Let's look at the world today. We've never had more choices. People can go where they want to go, be who they want to be. And we have never been more trapped. People are slaves to drugs, to sex, to money, to mental health issues. The list goes on and on. And people put themselves in a prison that was never intended for them. God wants to set you free. He died to set you free. See, you're born into freedom when you acknowledge, that, when you acknowledge Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. But it's still your choice to walk in that freedom. It's your decision. See, will you walk in the way of God? Or will you continue to follow your own path? The litmus test of a follower of Jesus is not the words that we say, it's the life that we live. To live in this declaration, to recap, of I have decided to follow Jesus, we must acknowledge that he's best placed to be in control. It starts there. We have to actively pursue him every single day. And we have to act upon the direction that he gives. Now, this is going to sound strange because I'm literally about to finish. 
But that all equates to about 50% of what it means to live a life that follows Jesus. John 14, 15 to 21 says this. If you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world won't see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. On that day, you will realise that I'm in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. See, living a life for Jesus is not possible without the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't leave us orphans. He didn't leave us without the tools to follow him. He sent us his Holy Spirit who lives within us and empowers us to live the way Jesus called us to live. In Corinthians 3, it's described as a partnership with God. It says we are co-workers with God. See, following Jesus is called to be a partnership. This is not a partnership where both parties get an equal say. This is a partnership where you offer your life up to the God of heaven and earth and say, God, here I am, send me. This is a partnership where you offer the worst of you and God gives you the best of him. This is a partnership where you trade all of your poverty and you get all of his prosperity. This is a partnership where the God of the universe stoops down to earth to make you the person you were called to be. See, the Holy Spirit is God within us. God walking with us each day, speaking to us, making the words of Jesus come alive within our lives. And this morning, as we make the decision to follow Jesus, to pursue him, to live what he's commanded, we also open up our lives to the power of the Holy Spirit. 50% us, 50% God. We are co-heirs, we are partners with God. See, people think that what the Holy Spirit does is, is come and control us and, and do all kinds of wacky and, and wonderful things. The reality is this, God does not violate what he set in command from when time began, free will. God gave us free will. God gave you a choice. And it's your choice to step to God or it's your choice to step away from God. This morning, will you make that declaration of I have decided to follow Jesus? I just want you to bow your head and close your eyes. Not because you're praying, just because you've given people their space.